Howdy. If you are here for Connect That, you're in the wrong channel. This is Connect This. fun one this uh this this lovely thursday afternoon one hour earlier than our normal slot so uh, uh i hope we are as funny as when you have had less time to uh do some uh pre-drinking uh for this show um we have doug dawson the man in the tie-dye from ccg welcome back doug we missed you doug you're muted Either that or you lost your voice at your birthday party. Uh, you had me unmuted. Uh, you didn't tell me I couldn't pre-drink, so now I'm a little upset because I, you know, I've already broken that rule and stuff. <laughs> we missed you at Broadband Communities, but we did find Ms. Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber. Wonderful time. I am here. And I mean, we did miss you last miss you last week, Doug. And if you watched, which I'm sure you did, we didn't wish you happy birthday until the middle of the show. <laughs> yeah. You kind of missed me, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, well, not finally, I guess I'm going to be finally uh, next, but penultimately, which does in fact mean second to the end, uh, we have Travis Carter, uh, who, Travis, I'm excited you have time. I mean, given that it's finally warming up, I thought you might have joined your outside plank crews with shovels to try to make up for lost time. Well, let's let's be clear. Warming up in Minnesota, it's 64 degrees today, which is massively warm for us. And by the way, we've worked on a permit for two years to cross a railroad and it's happening right now. So if I have to bow out for a minute because they said they would send me a picture as soon as the pipe was done. So fingers crossed today. Also, if you can share that, you send that to Henry during the show and he would probably be able to throw it up. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. We did one mile one way, one mile the other way. We're trying to do the last nine feet. So hopefully it should be short right. here. I, I do have a question. Why do you have to bow out of the show to look at a picture? <laughs> because after two years, I'm going to have a little exciting dance over here that it's finally done. Oh, come on. You can do that on screen. Come on. Yeah, like it was like it was like Fozzie Bear from the Muppets if I dance. So you're gonna be a little careful. Well, that, well, we're we're all good. With that. <laughs> I do want to come down. That is by far and away your best shirt, by the way. Thank oh, you. thank you. Thank I agree. You. Yes, I like that one. The final intro. I'm well, Christopher Mitchell at the Institute yeah. for Local Self Reliance, and. I'm I'm really excited uh, that broadband communities was terrific. Uh, it was a really wonderful event in Houston. I recommend people get ready to go next year. Uh, you know, I do feel like it had lost some of its uh, step in recent years, but it's back, baby. Um, due in part to Kim and uh, Bob Knight and several other people that have stepped up to help revitalize it, and uh, it was a fun time. It was a really good show. I think that we uh, find the final count was over a thousand. Uh, people and I think a lot of people you hadn't seen at these conferences before. I talked to a lot of state leaders and broadband offices and whatnot who I had never met. So I think it was a really good show. And um, kudos to uh, the CEO Barbara DeGarmo, who was not able to make it, who was behind a lot of this because of some uh, personal stuff going on. But uh, yeah, great show. Still in Houston. And in case you haven't been in Houston in a while, really humid here really humid here <laughs> yeah i wouldn't trade it for the 64 degrees that we have now um we did miss doug there was a lot of familiar faces that weren't there i felt like i mean it wasn't just that we had the familiar faces and new faces there was so many new faces that um you know i felt like it really was uh a different a different vibe so it was wonderful and travis um i'm i'm what was I sort your takeaway what'd you learn 
Oh, mostly, big, big, well, the, the best things are all things I'm not supposed to share publicly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I did, I did commit us to um, assuming that I have not systematically alienated each of you that next year, the show will be concluding next year at this time is the same dates, roughly early May, the first few days of May. Um, we are going to try and do a connect this or maybe even two uh, from the show. So uh, we're still working on that and figuring uh, the trick is, is whether we can uh, make sure it, it fits into Henry's schedule. Cause Henry is the person that makes this all happen. So um uh, yeah. So anyway, um, it was uh, it was terrific. Uh, I thought the panels were fun. Um, we had a good discussion about overbuilding that I'm I'd be happy to to go back into uh, if um, people demand it in the comments. But we do have a um, a modest agenda. We're going to have on Alan Fitzpatrick later from Open Broadband, uh, who's going to help us uh, flesh out some of the topics from last week, uh, talking a bit about some of the some of the ongoing, never ending discussions about wireless versus um, uh, fiber when it comes to government money. Um, I think the first thing to touch on, though, is, uh, Doug, did you react at all to the fact that I'm weaseling out of the bet after I started to pay it? Well, I, I put it on Twitter today. So, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know why you would do that. I think you I think you pretty much owe Travis, you know, money every week for the rest of his life. Kind of well, we're going it. double or nothing. So that's the question. Uh, is, uh, am oh. I a fool? Yes. You're, you're absolutely a fool. Yes. <laughs> I did. I did get a. I did get a question today from someone who says the buzz in DC is that um, is that there will not ultimately be um, a vote uh, on Gigi, and I don't take that as gospel by any stretch of the imagination. There's a lot of dumb buzz. Um, yes, the bet is Chris a fool. <laughs> Please, yes. nobody, nobody bet that I'm not a fool. I don't want that on my conscience. Yeah, um, I'll take that bet. So yeah. But um, but the question is sort of like what what can they, what what is best to do if Gigi can't be nominated? And I was like, burn it down. Like if, they, if they, have Gigi, to, they have to start over. Who are they going to get? Right. If Gigi can't be nominated, it's just a sign that uh, the FCC, um, you know, is not a regulator. The FCC, you know, does what industry wants. Um, well, if she can't get nominated, then nobody can get nominated unless they work for a big ISP or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You have a conflict of interest by not working for Verizon at this point. It does seem that way. Yes. <laughs> or you have another uh, opposite opinion of Verizon. You can't be uh, like on the FCC. I think it right. would be interesting. But I just want to make one point about the bet. Is this the first bet that there's three people on this panel against Chris on the bet? Because usually it's like two and two. I feel like Chris, you are a minority on this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris is a Chris is somewhat pessimistic on every topic except this one. <laughs> I, I feel like that. No, you're wrong because he thinks that the bead more of the bead money is going to be used in a in a good fashion than the rest of us. As oh, well. yeah, good point. Good point. Well, my my contention <laughs> continues to be that um, if we were to spend thirty to forty percent of it correctly, it will have been worth spending all of it, even if a bunch of it is um, just going directly to Comcast shareholders. And hopefully, the U.S. Postal Service at least would be delivering it, so we would have a little bit of public benefit. <laughs> Uh, and I shouldn't even pick on Comcast. Charter is probably the one that's going to gobble up far more than Comcast and AT&T. So. Um, I think we have a peekaboo lined up, but, it, but, but I want to delay that, Henry. So um, let's wait till Alan gets here to do that because it, it, um, Alan uh, specializes in such things. Um, the um, One of the things that um, 
um, I did enjoy is that, um, and I, I want to cure, Kim, I'll cue you up to see if there's any interesting things you have coming out of Houston. But um, one of the women <coughs> that I know who um, works in this space, and I'm just identified that this is a woman, even though I, just, I was trying to be cagey about who it is. Um, a person that works in this space, uh, she uh, had long worked in a very rural area and had been focused on a variety of approaches to connect it um, just to get something there. It felt like people need something there. And uh, in talking to her, she said that they are really going after fiber now because what they found is that when they delivered wireless, um, and then we're not talking about 100 megabit, like high quality wireless, we're talking more about like wireless uh, air band from Microsoft and some of this other stuff that's more like 25 megabits in this area that people were like, yes. And then six months later, they were like, this sucks. I want something better. <laughs> And uh, that's something I think, I feel like Doug, you've said that you've had experience with that before, but I thought that was an interesting dynamic because we're talking about five years of which they were working to try and get these like mediocre solutions out and found that that had just been a waste of time effectively. Well, and the reason for that's really easy because what happens with that stuff is it literally changes hour by hour and day by day and you just get tired of the way it fluctuates. And so, you know, it, it's just totally unpredictable when weather, rain, your neighbors get on the internet. I mean, it's just, everything just blows it around. And, you know, it's a crazy technology and, and there's just no way around that. That's what wireless is. So. And we'll talk more about that when Alan comes on um, yeah. because uh, he's, I think he, he'll discuss ways in which they've made it work. And, and I also expect him to be candid about where it hasn't. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Kim, did you have any any sort of interesting, like sort of like those sort of things? Well, you've been going to these things forever. Like any changes that you've seen? First of all, more people know me now. I think that, that was one of the big takeaways um, I, that I ever have had. And a lot of people watch this show. Um, you know, we always joke there. Some of them to, like uh, it. Yes, yeah, some of them actually like it. <laughs> Um, it's impressive. So, uh, no, I thought it was really interesting. I had a few conversations with state broadband offices and we talk about the power and that they are going to get with this bead money. And I, I just saw the confusion, um, from some of these people coming out of these state broadband offices that they're just lost and they feel very confused and they feel very threatened that like, what if they use this money wrong? Like, what if they disseminate it wrong? And I, I thought that was a really interesting takeaway because we often talk about what the pressure we're putting on these people, but actually chatting and seeing them up close and having these conversations was incredibly interesting. Doug, this I think segues in. I thought maybe you would just take it over. Um, this goes right into, I think, some of the that you had brought up as wanting to talk about today around these state broadband offices. Well, I think that the state broadband offices might be the weak link of this whole thing about making this work. First off, a ton of them are still not manned at all. There's nobody in some of them. The state of Michigan just put out, uh, they approved, the legislature approved to create an office, I don't know, three, four weeks ago. And so now they have a job posted for the director and eventually they will get eight more people. But those people are going to walk in through this thing already halfway over. And, and, and I think what Kim just said is exactly the problem. You're taking someone who, in many states who've never done a grant program and give them a billion dollars. And the pressure is going to, this has got to be one of the highest pressure jobs in the U.S. And quite honestly, none of them make enough money for the pressure. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see half of them walk out the door halfway through this year. And the reason for that is half of them walked out last year. And the states have been losing the directors of these programs left and right. So that may turn out to be the weakest link in the whole chain because the states aren't ready for it. And they can't really make themselves ready for it. I don't know where they find these good people. 
you well, know, I thought they, yeah. they can't they can't hire the four of us to give the money away. So who else are they gonna get? Well, yeah, we would be perfect. Um, I think employees <laughs> that I took out along too is one of the the states that's getting them one of the some of the most money was super proud that they had three or four people working in their broadband office, and you're like three or four. That is not anywhere close to the amount of people that you need um, to really. Uh, manage this money effectively. So and they're going to get 410 grant applications. So how are they going to handle that? Right? Well, I plus, think a lot of them, I mean, all so the other thing that's going on with them. Too, I right? would expect that a number of them are planning <laughs> on contracting it out to uh, firms, some of which may even have some experience that's relevant. Um, the, uh, you know, some of the firms that uh, are working in this space, you know, talking to them, they've, um, you know, one has uh, gone up maybe in two years, I think by a, a factor of three, um, you know, uh, and, and they're working with state offices in this capacity often. I mean, I think we talked before, we didn't say that states could get by with three people, but we expected that states would hire a number of people and then also be contracting out a fair amount of the work. Yeah, but the other issue is, in every state, there's going to be huge politics going on about who gets the grants. There's not very many states that are going to make it. You're the grant office. You do what you think is right. That's not going to happen very often. It's going to be a pressure cooker. So yeah, and I so I'm not as into this, and I'd, I'd love to have someone like uh, Catherine Dewitt or um, or um, one of her colleagues that's working on this more directly on the show to talk about on state by state, but. I understand that some of the states that have had long had broadband offices are sidelining them specifically because they don't want the expertise because the cable and telephone companies would rather roll the die with uh, with other folks that they can, um, you know, take out to uh, the, I, the the line that always comes to mind is the, the former mayor of Lafayette, Texas, who described the job of the, the big cable and telephone companies as um, buying steak dinners and football tickets. Louisiana. Louisiana, yes. Yeah, Texas. Joe, yeah, yeah, Joey I, I, think, I think having Catherine on would be a great person. You should definitely do that. So, yeah. So, um, but one of the things that has come up over and over again, and this gets right to Travis's uh, points, I feel like often <laughs> is that um, states are looking at this money and the federal government uh, and many of people in the federal government that I think share our values and goals are saying to the states, all right, here's the money. Here's the CPF money, the capital projects fund money. You can use this in urban areas to resolve the challenges. Wink, wink. You know, like like there's going to be a bunch of other money for the most rural, and a number of those states are saying, uh, no, no, we don't, don't want to do that. Right. No, the, the politics for us aren't helpful. Those those people. If if we give this money <laughs> to Baltimore, it's not going to get us a single vote in the, in the next election. So we're going to spend it all in rural Maryland. That's the dynamic that I'm hearing. Right, I agree. Not every state. There's some states who will use it well. So no, I hope New York is going to be one of those. But anyway, um, um, uh, Travis, I'm, I'm wondering if you're just sort of in the of any uh, any different mind about this. Oh, I would. Uh, I'd be happy to take free money and deploy it in areas that could use it. But since we build in 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 the urban area here, <clears throat> I'm just convinced that uh, that'll never happen. So it's just not even on my radar anymore to even worry about it. But I was thinking, what about Kim for the FCC? No, I think, I think yeah. what might be. I'm going to think we should start championing that. No, I no 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 no. I, I like you know I I like my private life and uh, I don't need like right now we might be broadband celebrities because we're on Connect This, but uh, no nobody needs to know my name. 
<laughs> no, I do. I do think like and this is. A, I, I'd be curious about Doug's reaction to this because what Travis just said about Kim, like I think people sometimes say about me too, and I feel like there's this vast gulf between people like Kim and I that have an expertise in like one particular area here, and I think we're trusted because we don't just say what the companies want us to say. Um, but that doesn't make us fit for the FCC. <laughs> The FCC deals with a lot of legal nuances. It's, you know, half of the job is being a lawyer. It's, re it's really a complicated position. So. Yeah, I, okay, I, I retract that. Sorry, Kim. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, not only is it is Kim not necessarily a good candidate, it's kind of mean of you to suggest it. But I, I, we, we don't I, want to I, do I that humbly, to Kim. humbly apologize. I thought we were friends, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> I know not what I say on this topic, you know, so I just figured it was being a rock star, you know, with a magic wand passing policy. No. I, like I can talk marketing and I can talk like geeky broadband, but no, don't put me in any legal conversations. So I want to, I want to say this though. Like I do feel like, um, um, the conversations I hear from people, it's really fun hearing generally off the record conversations about people having candid conversations with elected officials, uh, people from public networks who are saying that, um, that, uh, sometimes run into people they wouldn't expect who are like, Oh man, your network is great. You know, like, and uh, and I feel like word is getting around, and people are experiencing more of these networks. Um, but uh, I, I definitely want to hear um, one of the the highlights of, of Houston came from Kim. Um, there was an announcement that was made, and uh, we want to uh, talk about that briefly. And I want to hear uh, Travis's questions about it in particular. Oh, am I going? Am I doing that drum roll? Um, yes. So, because really that uh, I don't have enough to do. Uh, that uh, we announced the American Association of Public Broad Broadband, which would be AAPB, um, AmericanPublicBroadband.org. And this organization was created to be a singular voice for public broadband across the country. Because as we've talked about on the show, that I get calls and other networks get calls from communities around the country just trying to figure out what they are doing and why they're doing it. Um, and the AAPB, even though it says American Public Broadband, it, we're model agnostic. We just want uh, communities to have a voice and a say in the models that they choose to go with. Because a lot of like, as we've talked about it as well, a lot of cities and communities are, are in states have restricted um, municipal broadband. And we do not think that's fair. And we feel like that cities should have whatever choice they want to go down, whatever pathway. So we, it's like an advocate education and uh, like expertise group. Uh, and this is a membership group. So people uh, who are running public networks could actually participate uh, on the board and and be directly involved. Um, people from organizations like uh, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance uh, can support it as a member, although we will not be voting on positions or things like that. Uh, and uh, soon individuals will be able to demonstrate support as well and be members, as I understand it. As the social media and website person, um, I should have gotten that membership category up before this show, but thank you, Chris, for mem uh, mentioning that. Uh, yeah, so I think anybody, we, we uh, in the less than 24 hours, we have raised over $100,000 uh, for the organization. But we're, we have vendors, we have nonprofits, we have individuals, but municipal, like local municipal officials or governmental employees uh, are, are the only people who can be voting members are on the board. We want to keep true to the vision and not skew and go down uh, like a pathway that might do that. So that is why we have chosen to just have uh, elected officials or municipal officials on the, uh, on the board. 
So it is, I'm excited. It's, uh, you know, you can see the dark circles under my eyes uh, because it's, it's been a journey to get here, but it, it's this, this idea kind of started out from, uh, I co-chair the uh, Fiber Broadband Association's Public Officials Committee. Uh, and so we kind of just started listening to that, that voice and uh, kind of we created an organization and super, super excited uh, to announce it yesterday. And uh, there's a video on YouTube and everything that you can really kind of see the story behind it if you choose to go do that. But not right now because we're on this show. So watch it later. So like 10 years ago, Doug was like, we really need something like that. And I was like, yes, we do. And I it made it my mission to make it happen. And um, well, um, well ten, you started ten years it now. Ago, I actually tried it because the city of Lafayette <laughs> said they would take the lead. I contacted every other city. We had several group calls, but there and there was only maybe 40 or 50 communities that had broadband then. And it just never got off the ground uh, because those cities had it and, and nobody else who didn't have it seemed to be, I, the, the world has changed. Now everybody's interested, but we just couldn't get any enthusiasm 10 years ago. I mean, right, they, there was a, there they was did a, try to create it. So, yeah. Well, there's a, there's an incentive gap in that as well. I think those who had it realized that they were going to spend years answering the same questions from the same new folks right. over and right. over again. And they didn't have that kind of masochist streak that right. uh, Kim and Bob Knight do. Yes. <laughs> as well as the other founders of. Yeah, of, no, uh, it's, uh, yeah it's really, we just really are uh, never want to sleep as, uh, as Doug will like, say to me but i think it, there's a voice that hasn't been heard and if and i know that doug you tried to create it and nobody probably could have gotten it off the ground 10 years ago no. i think it's a whole new uh landscape and if you're gonna if you want to change this industry it has to start with all of us who uh who know the industry so it's it, it and we will be accepting individual members um doug or travis if you would like to join <laughs> Travis, do you have any, any, any questions? I feel like you're the one who's, um, who's uh, often in the role of like, what exactly will this group do? <laughs> hey, 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 you took my sentence away. Oh, by the <laughs> way, yeah. what does it cost to join? Um, for vendors uh, or individuals, we're doing a $500 individual membership for nonprofits. It's 1000 And if you want to be a gold or premier uh, vendor, it's 5000 or 10000 And you so... can find that on the website. Well, where would we land as a not a public company, not a we are for profit. We are everything no one likes. So where do well, we land? Nonsense. I think I think, we're, I think that makes you a hundred thousand is what I think. Yeah, I think we'll hundred thousand. <laughs> I mean well, that, okay. So what are you gonna do with this hundred thousand? Just in you know, put training wheels on because I don't understand all these, you know, fancy government terminology. What is the net result? Are we going to hook people up? Are we going to talk about hooking people up? Are we going to show people how to hook people up? What are we thinking? I feel like the first mission that we are going to have with the 100,000 is that we're already in a search for an executive director and hire an executive director who will be the, the voice of the, of the organization um, and going out and just advocating in Washington of why these communities are doing this. And that like what's happening, at least for Utopia Fiber, is that I hear all the time the stories of what is like, what is utopia, right? And because there's a lot of uh, challenging by the incumbents or others who don't want to see municipal broadband succeed. And they're telling that story, which is not 100% accurate. And we just want uh, there to be a voice who's actually telling the realistic stories of where communities have done this and continue to do this. And it's very successful because the story about municipal broadband is that it's it's always been a failure. It never works. We should always leave this up to the private sector. And I just think that all we want but, is but a it, voice to be heard. 
is it lobbying or is it education? Eventually there will be a lobbying effort. Yes. But we're, but we're are, are, this will be educating folks on yep. how to build networks. Yep. Oh, and like putting them in touch with whatever model financing structures, just giving them access mm -hmm. to people who can do that and really telling them the truth and giving them a, a group of people who are doing this as well that they can reach out to who have done it and are in different stages of the deployment process that they can talk to. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, to give you an idea, Travis, like um, there's both a lobbying and what we would call an education component um, to this in that, for ex example, um, a state of Michigan or Illinois or something like that, um, all of a sudden there's a bill that pops up in the legislature that says uh, we are going to restrict the use of broadband subsidies to only be able to go to the cable and telephone companies and no one else. And at that point, uh, there is both um, what we would call lobbying, which would be um, IRS defense. Um, IRS specifically defined activities, which are cannot be um, the sole focus of a nonprofit organization like like myself, um, as well as other activities that uh, mm -hmm. an organization like myself is able to do in terms of saying in general, like, we don't think this is a good idea. Like, we think we should like make sure that everyone has access to this funds and things like that. So the organization that Kim is talking about would be doing things like that, as well as maybe more proactively setting a, a, a positive agenda. So it is not directly connecting people. It is kind of making it easier for those who are connecting people to be able to do it well. Yeah. And I think right. Scott Menhart, who is um, like running Traverse City Light and Power up in Michigan, you know, another one of those cold areas. He said it best when he was, he's on the board. He is our treasurer. He said it best when he said yesterday at the press conference that um, he would have loved to have an organization like this when some anti-muni legislation came out in Michigan and he had no idea who to reach out to, what to do, um, how to handle it. And he really was like, that's why he joined uh, as one of the founding members, because it was like, I want to help communities who are experiencing what I experienced and how to overcome it. And I think that is a great story of what what is happening and why we really created this. So um, we're excited. We're, we're, we're really excited. But it is a registered, as Chris said, we are a registered 501c6. So we do have the ability to lobby um, as that. Now, well, I want... Go ahead, Travis. Well, I was just curious if Chris or Doug were concerned for Kim that um, she didn't have enough on her plate, so she decided to get involved in this. You know, I do believe humans need to what sleep six to eight hours a day, so just you know keep that in mind. So, well, well, I, th I, think, I think I think Kim wants to keep up with my schedule. So, okay, six yeah. hours a day. I mean, what, what the heck is that all about? That's not well done. I, I'm happy to donate. Kim, tell me where what I need to donate and where to. So, so I, I, you you know I will I will send you an email, but. I know I got really offended a couple of weeks ago when um, Doug was called the hardest person, working person in broadband. And I really right. wanted to ch challenge that. It was almost like a bet since we do bets all the time. Like, can I beat a bet on this show? Um, so, you, know how, I, you know how we're not fighting for that title? I want you know, to. I'm going to let her win this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going the other way. So, Chris, you and I, who's the lazier? So. <laughs> Well, I do run two um, enterprises, Travis. Um, I guess you do too, though. We don't talk much about your your uh, your experience as a uh, uh, restaurateur, uh, but yeah, because I don't do much with it, so I don't know the answer. So yes, <laughs> is it a wings restaurant? Uh, no, it's a, a cabaret, nightclub, uh, bar, restaurant. Uh, oh yeah, no, it's it's it's. I've only been there once, so yeah. <laughs> 
now, I, I do want to um, uh, to say that um, this is this is a wonderful opportunity, and I and I think that one of the goals will be that as you get that executive director, um, that will hopefully take some work off of your plate. Okay. Uh, some off my plate would be great too. I mean, like <laughs> I'm very happy to. Uh, I think people are sometimes like, oh, like does this get into your area? And I'm like, my I can't do all the stuff I want to do. I'm happy for people that for people who are competent to take things off my plate. Like, hey, terrific, more power to you. So. Um, so, um, I think this is a good time to bring on Alan Fitzpatrick, uh, one of the, uh, founders of open broadband in North Kakalaki. Um, and, um, Alan, uh, you want to give us a, a quick background of, of who you are? Sure. I'm probably one of the show's biggest fans. So thanks for having me on. I'm the one who's been on here recently, uh, typing in comments during the show. But uh, I uh, am co-founder of uh, Open Broadband, we're an ISP, a small ISP in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. And uh, I'm also on the board of NC Broadband Matters, which is a 501c3, uh, along with Doug. And Alan, you and I, have, uh, we go back a ways. You, you have been involved in connectivity since before you did Open Broadband. You just want a, a quick background on that? Sure. So I, I've been in the telecom industry for 25 years, and I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to technology because I've worked in the C-like world. I worked in what was called long distance back in the day. Uh, I most recently I uh, was running a data center uh, in Charlotte. So open broadband is actually my first experience with wireless. So I've seen the industry evolve over time with different technologies and backgrounds and worked at big companies and started my own. And as a big as a big fan of the show, then you've heard as we've talked candidly about how um, you know we're we're concerned about money going into wireless. Uh, we I think all of us have kind of a sense that like there are places for wireless, but I don't know that any of us are strong supporters of putting um, government dollars into it given the, the long term um, issues. Uh, and so I'm just curious if you had any like strong negative reactions to anything that we said along those lines, or um, you know if you uh, I'm in the had some nuance. I'm in the all options should be on the table camp and that nothing should be excluded. Uh, there are pros and cons with everything, right? And I, I've heard on this shows, uh, you know, the pros of fiber are, are, are pretty clear. At the same time, the negatives of digging through granite and main and, uh, you know, poles that have to be redone, uh, the cost and the time frame, you know, makes you know, some, some strong negatives on the fiber side. Wireless has the benefits of being quick to deploy, a uh, lot, you know, less costly to put up. Uh, maybe Travis's link that he's been waiting two years for could have been done in, you know, a week or two if it was wireless. I, I don't know the details of, you know, the endpoints. But there are pros and cons, and, and technology is always changing. Fiber technology has gotten better over the years, and so is wireless. Uh, so I, I tend to not look at it like, it has to be one thing. It's not like I have a hammer and everything is a nail. I look at it as what problem are you trying to solve? What do I have in my toolkit to solve that problem? Sometimes it's wireless, sometimes fiber, sometimes the data center is the heart of it all. And that's where you need to focus. Travis, I think you were going to jump oh, in. Oh, no, I was, um, I was just, you know, I guess my perspective is fairly limited. So I've It'd be interesting. Doug's probably got more broad perspective because our build is in an urban U.S. city. So there's different kind of formulas and calculations probably that go into there versus a, a rural type of deployment. My, my worry about wireless is and what I talk to my friends about that run WISPs is tip of the spear. you got to keep you got to keep investing in the technology. 
And what they get into is they get into this five-year wireless life cycle where by the time they get to about three, 4,000 customers, they're done because they're, they're upgrading customers that they signed up day one it's four years down the road. And it's just this never ending cycle that they go through. And honestly, it's a constant battle for spectrum. Your network's running just fine today. A week from now, you've got some new person that puts up a tower next to you that's interfering, interfering with your tower. And because it's all open, you know, or public spectrum, you don't have a lot of recourse. So I, I just at running a WISP for so many years and running a fiber network for so many years, the fiber network don't tell anybody, but they run, you know, there's not a lot of drama, right? They just sit and run, run, run 24 by seven, the wireless networks, you're constantly messing with them. So I'll just leave it at that. That's again, my experience in an urban setting. Now I wanted to say as someone who follows Alan on Twitter and I, I see every new installation they put in cause they put a picture up and, and he's serving some folks out in the middle of nowhere and bringing them 65 and hundred megabits. And these places aren't going to get broadband for a long, long time. Where he's mm -hmm. So it's, it's awesome. I mean, mo most of his pictures have a cow in it. So that's great. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, so there's absolutely lots and lots of places where wireless is a great solution. You know, the question, you know, the one that, 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 you know, Chris alluded to is, did we use the $42 billion for that? That, you know, that's, that's a policy debate is, do I think there's, great places for wireless. Some of these places Island serving with wireless might still be on it for 20 years. I mean, that, that he, that's the right solution for that place. So. Let's uh, let's do the, the telecom peekaboo um, to get a sense, because I felt like this tower, um, it actually seems like it's more um, perhaps uh, modern and cosmopolitan than many of the um, uh, locations that you use as, a, as base stations, Alan. I've seen towers like that. It looks like, on, uh, that's a lot of stuff on one tower. No, I was saying that. It's like, like a belt, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know that I've ever seen one like that. Yeah, it looks like uh, cellular antennas, cellular sector antennas. So you got AT&T, T-Mobile, or Verizon on there. Uh, we're actually on some towers that are in a similar state, and the spectrum that we're using it operates just fine right in the middle of all of theirs. You wouldn't think so. You'd think there'd be interference all over that thing, but uh, you, you can separate them. Well, what spectrum are you in, Alan? Uh, we use a variety of both unlicensed and licensed. Okay. Uh, so CBRS has been sort of one of our go-tos recently, the 3.5 gigahertz. Mm -hmm. uh, if you try how to do hard? 5 gigahertz, it's too open and too congested for a lot of places. How big a channel are you getting generally? Uh, we're going uh, you know, up to 40 megahertz. Okay. Yeah, you're lucky if you're if you're out in a real rural area. That makes <laughs> sense. You know what that peekaboo looked like to me? That looked like a, a town or a city that knows how to monetize their mounting assets right there. Yeah, seriously. You know, that, that looks like a lot of rent coming in. Well, let's, let's bring in Rye for a second. If he's, if he's prepared, this is a, he's described this as a, a small town um, that is enclosed within Mankato, Minnesota, which is itself a, a modest sized city for many app for Minnesota standards. Um, and I'm getting, I'm going to guess that it's like the best asset um, on high ground for a little um, while around there. Right? Is that more or less right? Yep, uh, I think it's one of the uh, highest points in the area. And um, so this little town is, uh, they get their water and electric and uh, sewer service from Mankato. Uh, and so there's not a lot up there except for a couple parks and one water tower and uh, all this stuff. 
And you, and you got to recognize a lot of these small towns make it very hard to put up a new cell tower. And so mm-hmm. you got to look for assets like this. So. And if I was going to overbuild a fiber network, I would look for towers like this. That means somebody at the local government is pro-technology, they got which, it. Mean, which means you're probably going to have an easier job building in that area. If you see a naked water tower right in the middle of town, go to the next town. That's interesting. I would not have thought of that. Mm. I can guarantee you there's fiber to that tower, too. Oh, yeah. I think we can guess that, yeah. <laughs> well, in fact, now, I, Alan, think, I think we kind of see the tower running, the fiber running up the side there. So, yep. Thank you, Rai. Um, and, Alan, one other thing I like about open broadband is uh, that uh, you do a lot of public-private partnerships. Um, and so you might want to tell, um, you know, I know that the North Carolina League of Municipalities does really terrific work on trying to uh, change the law to make those public-private partnerships easier in North Carolina. Um, but a lot of those uh, municipalities that you're working with would be uh, potential members of, uh, of this uh, American public broadband. Absolutely. In fact, we should probably promote this on uh, NC Broadband Matters. If uh, oh, we will. Yeah. That's agreeable. Okay. Yeah, so, we uh, we do a lot of public-private partnerships with towns and counties. Uh, we have projects with the library. Uh, the city of Charlotte actually is a big partner to us. Uh, they decided when they got CARES money to implement uh, free public Wi-Fi in housing communities uh, throughout Charlotte. So we were a partner uh, with them. Uh, and this we turned out. Metrolina Association of the Blind uh, service, uh, so it's kind of a nice application. You're doing the uh, the public housing in, in with Charlotte, and I was curious how you reacted. Um, I feel like um, I had thought that I hear that you were doing kind of the whole Wi-Fi approach, uh, which we were pretty negative on. I'm just curious how, if you watched that show, how you reacted to that. Uh, yeah, I probably took a little offense at that. Uh, if you think of going to a hotel, which all of us go to, right, we all want Wi-Fi in our hotel room. So why can't it operate just like that in apartments? So I, I think some of the negative comments were it wasn't performing well, I think, and maybe some of the experiences. Uh, I think that's just poor implementation. I think you can implement well with public Wi-Fi and get service really inexpensively to a lot of people. Um, so that was why we went with that approach. And plus, it's so easy for people to use it. You know, every device just about has Wi-Fi connectivity, whether it's your laptop or your phone or your tablet or your television. Everything has Wi-Fi built in. You don't have to have a SIM card to connect to the cellular network. And you're certainly not going to be plugging cables in all over your house either. So Wi-Fi well, I think. No, and I think I think our argument is more that uh, that would be fine as a as a backup, but that it has some uh, limitations that Travis had specifically um, walked through. Yeah, well, there's you know price and uh, and performance trade offs. So the places where we deployed the free public Wi-Fi, they have cable. They can sign up for cable, mm-hmm. but money is an issue. Affordability. And if they can just get free internet access on Wi-Fi, that was good enough to meet their needs, and they'd rather do that. I have a hard time being against anyone who's given free access out to people who can't afford it. I mean, that 
Yeah. No, and I feel like that's like where I mean, my my sense would just be that I'm not I'm not here to tell Alan he's a bad person because he's like picked a way that works for the contract that they have. Um, like I, I would have a question for the public housing authority, which is um, you know along the lines of what we had talked about before in terms of whether this approach um, really does provide equity um, for people. I mean, just to give an example, I got to play. Um, 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 uh, what's it called? Um, uh, IT guy today because uh, in the our offices are in a, a church uh, administrative building, and we uh, set up a network that uh, keeps them all humming. And the way we had done it, as a matter of convenience, um, one of the hubs is in one of the other nonprofits that's in that, um, and and they were getting ready to move out, and they just shut off their all their electronics, and so it shut down the church's uh, Wi-Fi in some areas, and so uh, they didn't have a printer anymore. Right. And like and this is the area that this is what Travis specifically noted is that like um, on that kind of an approach, like everything's built on Wi-Fi. Uh, suddenly people um, aren't able to print in that network because they don't have a local network. They're sharing their network and everything is devices are secured from each other um, in that approach. If you, bring, if you bring fiber to that public housing, there's no reason that can't be the same kind of Wi-Fi that they get in dorms. It could be very high quality. It's just a matter of how you wire it. So, yeah. no, Travis, you could go through it. I mean, I'm I don't I'm see you're describing your argument. Well, you're kind of throwing me under the bus here with Alan. You know, on, on multiple fronts. <laughs> um, so, no, I guess no, okay. I, first of all, I know Alan, and Alan is a yeah. smart guy who's ready to defend his decisions. And I think what he's doing is fine. I just I just want to like go through the pro and con of it. Yeah, yeah. So, so here's my opinion on it, and we've done we've tried it. You know, I, I'm all about trial and errors. And here's what we've done before: we've done the typical like Wi-Fi um, smoke alarm access points in the hallway concept. Uh, where the people try to connect in. And the problem there is your, your, your inter-SSID communication. So what people didn't understand is I hook my TV up, I hook my Xbox up, and I hook my printer up and my laptop up to the little puck in the hallway. You, none of them can see each other. You're not going to be using Chromecast on that network. No, no. And so that, that was a big learning curve. So then we went to actually access points in the unit so everybody had their own access point their own ssid and their own password that is a that I, that's a pretty successful model there for us um but i'm also and i i'd be curious about kim's model too is i'm real big on synergy and what i mean by that is if you're a usi customer doesn't matter if you're in a public housing building if you're in the fanciest apartment building single family home gigabit symmetrical everywhere everyone gets the same experience I, I i got out of the well you get it less experience and here's all my reasons why okay yeah. it's just okay. I, I need to go back a few steps is yep. that chris you said that you were the it guy i thought travis was your it guy like i thought you just called him for all of your technical oh, no. no, no. First of all, let's be clear here, because like IT people are not telecom people, I, and I I, I'm I'm not good at either. I just pretend <laughs> to be. <laughs> but I don't think of Travis as an IT guy. I, I think Travis, you're probably not an IT guy, are you really? Oh, no, it used to be. Now I just okay. like now we have a lot of IT people. You know, yeah. Uh, the sad the sad reality is, as you get older, and Alan and Doug and Kim, well, Kim's not old, but the rest of us are. You get further and further away from the technology. So I just repeat a lot of things other smarter kids are telling me. So oh, okay. But, yeah. but going back to your, your your comment is that Utopia, since we're all, like we very much sell wholesale to businesses and some of our ISPs and some of our ISPs choose to do the bulk 
uh, deal like into some of these apartments and low income housing or whatnot. So they might not get the, the same experience, which I've had the fight. Um, and I would agree with you on this front, Travis, is that when people are like, well, this is utopia fiber, shouldn't I get the gigabit speed? that it's a little bit of brand confusion because I'm out there telling them um, you get symmetrical speeds, it's a dedicated line, all of this. And then people will be like, well, Utopia is connecting my apartment complex and I'm not getting that. Um, it, so it's like, how do you educate consumers um, on that is a very hard aspect of what we do and how, how that happens. So yes, I would agree that it is a challenge. Yeah, so what we ended up doing, and again, this is just the model we've been doing, is we run cat six to every unit and then we will either put an access point in each unit and then we have a happy satisfied customer from there on out but and if know. i had to guess again just because i've known alan for a while if the city uh, housing authority had said we have the budget to do that i'm going to guess that you would probably have have done that so you're doing the best you can with what you have available right Right. It's very limited dollars available. So what can you do for that amount of money? And we do feed these complexes with fiber, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Um, Travis, and you, you're using your capital to build these networks, which is very different than what has happened necessarily or an Allen's um, aspect. Would that be correct, Alan? Or like, it's not yes, all. Yeah. Some of these are, are grant based or the city you know, has a certain amount of cares money or the association got uh, X dollars. And it's like, what can you do for this bucket of money? Okay. So we try to maximize it, right? So, no, Alan, okay, a couple, enough, I, I, couple of quick questions. Travis says that has said repeatedly that uh, <laughs> the um, um, that through the brilliance of the Trump administration's FCC and the um, amazing um, clairvoyance of Ajit Pai, particularly, uh, there is all kinds of uh, Wi-Fi in the six gigahertz band that's going to change the game for Wisps. And I'm wondering, are you are you really excited about this? Is this going to change your plans at all? Uh, we are actually uh, testing uh, six gigahertz now. We, we view it as an opportunity to right get more spectrum, uh, less congested than a traditional, you know, unlicensed five gigahertz. So yeah, we view it as a good thing. Uh, the work that Toronto has been doing on fixed wireless is amazing with their uh, signal uh, uh, echo cancellation and uh, and signal improvements. So we're getting four, five hundred, six hundred megabit speed wirelessly through trees, uh, which is pretty phenomenal. Now it's very expensive. <laughs> And we can't use that in some of our applications, but it's it's possible. Well, I was going to ask Alan that because we're we're going to put up their system and see how it performs. Boy, they're proud of it. Oh yeah, this is not a low cost alternative. I'll tell you that they're real proud of the technology. So it'll be interesting to see how it does perform. And by the way, but this is why we need Kim on the FCC. They need to turn the power up on six gig. Don't you agree, Alan? They're a little wimpy on there. Uh, on the broadcast, the signal strength. They need to give us a little more juice. They're not going to do that, unfortunately. So. Oh, well, then it'll be okay. That, that's so, why I need to be on the FCC, because I know all about that. All about that. <laughs> <laughs> you're just holding well, you're, back, because you well, don't want the conversation. you're on the FCC, <laughs> and Travis will call you, and he'll go, Kim, turn up the juice, and you'll probably yeah. think it's a good hey, idea. Kim, all you got to do is just use the CBRS model in the low low half of the six gig. Turn the power up, and Alan and I'll be happy. And then I can eat crow on wireless being, um, you know, sort of marginal right now no, no, in for, urban settings. I think we should just pretend it's like the Capitol, where they have the props on the easel next to you, and Travis can be in there and see. Like right now, there's this much juice, and we actually need this much juice. Yeah, <laughs> and that would help. And I'll flip a switch. 
That's what I'll do. It's just a button, right? Right. right. And none of none of the many engineers that make it happen. None of the many engineers that are professionals who take their job very seriously, the FCC will have any problem with you just telling them that that's what we're going to do. Um, so I, I, I want to talk about Toronto for another second. I mean, we are going to come back to this uh, as as Travis uh, goes through it. Uh, but I'm I am curious. I mean, like um, there's someone uh, who uh, does not think very highly of my intelligence who keeps saying that it's ridiculous to be building fiber um, given the performance of of Toronto. That uh, that is the solution for rural areas. Uh, I I have to agree with uh, Travis that they are very proud of their equipment. Uh, it is costly. If it were not for grant money, we wouldn't be uh, putting it in our plans. Uh, if we have grant money that's going to help pay for it, then sure, we'll go for the more expensive equipment. Uh, the challenge there is, is is just the cost. So I was on a call the other day about a 500-person community in South Carolina. They had a water tower in the middle of town. Uh, it is very uh, low income. I think the average income is like 26000 uh, per household, you know, uh, a proposal was to go in with the Toronto system, put it on the water tower and serve all the residents. And I started to do the math in my head and knowing what Toronto pricing is and saying, I realize this is going to get a lot of speed to those customers, but this is never going to be profitable. Why don't you just go in with 50 meg service or 80 meg service and they'll be really, really happy. Well, and with that amount of money, you probably could have come pretty close to building fiber. I mean, it's like, let's think about this here. Yeah. I mean, five, it's not a whole lot of money to build fiber to 500 people. So, uh, There was a question uh, that was in the private chat, uh, the super secret chat that not everyone is privy to unless you've um, um, passed all of our uh, entrance exams and security clearances. Uh, and that was, uh, what is the power situation, Travis? Like, uh, do you need, is it is it too low by by 50 percent uh what's the situation there oh i knew you were going to ask i don't you know i don't have that off top this of is what you're just repeating the stuff that you've heard from other people no no no. I, okay i'll just <laughs> say I'll, I'll cheat and i'll say boy if we could at least just have the same power we have in uni three so any smart wireless guys out there um if we could have the same uni three power that we have because as you know chris uni two we don't have as much power either the dfs bands but in uni right the dfs that's what i was thinking if we could have the low end of six gigahertz match uni three i think we'd be in good shape because most of the wisps out there understand that kind of layout and to doug's point because i'm reading my hold on is it tarana or tarvana why don't you... it's tarana you keep putting v's in it and i keep gently yeah. correcting you but you never pick tarana. up tarana tarana uh for what we're buying to try 20 subscribers, I could overbuild five, fiber five times in that area. So let's just see how it plays out here. Well, probably you shouldn't build a system like that to 20. I mean, if Alan's not going to build it to, what, 500 people? So what, 150 premises, something, 200 premises? Yeah. Right. Well, I learned long ago in technology, you never believe the white paper. So we're going to put it up. We're going to go out and we're going to sit on the street and we're going to see how it works, gets through trees, et cetera, et cetera. It could be the greatest thing since peanut butter. Who knows? But right right now, the last time I saw anything revolutionary in in wireless was when TDD came in for uh, spectrum sharing in, in time slicing, which was a kind of a poor LTE solution. But it's amazing the difference. So maybe Tarana is the same thing. We'll see. I want to have one last question. Kim, go ahead. What, 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 like, what white paper has never been correct? I mean, I don't understand what you're talking about. Travis. <laughs> the white paper I have ever read is accurate information. Like, 
absurd. And you, and you, and you still want to put her on the FCC? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, we have a, a question from the audience, and then I'm going to go on to a new topic here. Um, but I, let's just if, if 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 you don't mind, Alan, if you're, I mean, if you do mind, then uh, no problem. Um, and we'll make something up for David. But uh, was just sort of curious. I mean, what is the difference? Like, what, did you look at the cost of doing fiber to that community and get a sense of uh, what the situation was? Uh, the one I mentioned, uh, no, this was just something that popped up and I was on a call the other day. So uh, not something we had uh, dived into. Uh, well, I guess in general, I'm not opposed to using fiber. I mean, I'll use any tool in the tool bag. Right. Now, I guess that like part of your situation is knowing that your deployment, right? Like you're you're not like you did start in like eastern North Carolina and work your way west, like saturating everywhere. You're kind of opportunistically where people are willing to work with you. You come in, you can connect um, hundreds of people and move on. Whereas if you're building a fiber network, you're not going to go pick out like 500 people there and 600 people there. And uh, that's that's no way to build a fiber network. Right. Uh, that's an excellent point. We are very spread out. And uh, we've done applications that were, it was just the quickest way to get somebody up in service. Uh, we did a five gigabit per second link, wireless link across railroad tracks for a university because it was gonna take them a year and a half to do the fiber. And we I've had never heard of that happening, not, not in a half hour. I just sent you the video of it, Chris. Did you get yeah, it? Yeah, no, if you send it to Henry, I'm Travis, I'm doing a show right now. So I did look at it, but oh, yeah. I thought we we're just, I thought we we're just talking here. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted to, before we let Alan go, I wanted to talk about um, uh, predictions for competition. Um, you know, Alan, I'm guessing you're also fending off um, a lot of uh, private equity folks. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. I think I think you have other others who put money into your, um, you know, to, to build this out. Um, and, and I'm just sort of curious because I feel like two years ago, I was much more ambitious about the possibility of of seeing. Um, a competition coming from both public sector and a lot of private sector investments. And with private equity seeming to eat up all of the private ISPs, I am less hopeful that we will actually have competition in five or 10 years as a result of pr more private investment. And I'm curious how you all think about that. I have something, I don't know how popular this is going to be, but uh, some of the policies that are coming out sound good on the surface, but in reality, they're all big pro, uh, you know, big company. So uh, take something as simple as you have to have a low income plan in your pricing package. And you know that you're competing against AT&T and uh, Charter, who were both mandated to have low income plans when they had mergers with DirecTV and, and Brightspeed or Brighthouse a, a couple of years ago. So it's like, wait a minute, their normal price is like $75. They were mandated by the FCC as a merger conditions to offer these things. Now that's become a requirement in grants and little people like us that have everyday low pricing, sort of the Walmart pricing model, we're going to get screwed if we don't have a low income plan. And the reason why we don't is because we don't have a high income plan. So it's, it's like these things sound good on the surface, like you have this plan for low income, but in reality, all it's doing is helping the big companies and circling back to your, your point on the competition. This is just driving more to the big companies as opposed but to encouraging competitors. Like Alan, has this is this a, like a new change that like this money and grants are going to the big guys and not the little guys? I mean, is this like yes? A change? There, there's a bill in front of Congress right now, actually uh, put in by Chris's senator Klobuchar, who says uh, the the grants, the big grants, should only go to companies with a proven track record of being able to do it, and and that that means they're going to put in balance sheet rules. And I mean, 
it's going to keep the little guys out again. And that's not I, what what they really meant by that is they wanted to keep out some of the kind of people that won the RDAF auction. That's not how it's going to be used. Oh. And so, you know, so, you know, the, every one of those kind of changes that puts a restriction in ends up cutting people out of the bottom of the market. But um, let's be, I want to, I want to, so, and maybe, I don't know, Kim or, or Doug in particular might be able to help me. When this says there's a requirement of a low income plan, does that not merely say that you have to use ACP or is it saying that you literally have to have a plan that is only available for folks that meet a certain, in, um, um, cause I thought the whole point of no, ACP was that it could be used. Any... Use an ACP absolutely would satisfy it, but you already know that I believe ACP will be broke before the first dollar of, of B is spent. So then what do you do? Then you don't have a, then you don't have a low income plan. So yeah, but well, I here's, think... here's... Oh, go ahead, Kim. Well, cause I think it's a challenge too from like a governmental agency such as Utopia, if we offer or some of our cities help us um, subsidize a low income plan, we also could be sued or those cities could be sued for like unfair competition by right. giving us a subsidy. So it's it's a little bit, a bit of a balancing act of how that is approached because it's like you're giving the city to benefit the city, but then the incumbents are gonna say, well, that you're doing that and you're not giving it to us. So that's unfair. So it's like, how do we approach this? Like, and I, I want to, I want to ask a factual question after Travis goes. No, and there's a, there's an element of this ACP that I think affects Alan and I directly as being smaller providers. You know, a lot of the people we're running into right now have been using their ACP towards their cellular programs. So there, it, it, when it, when it gets down to us, it doesn't even exist anymore. So this, this idea that, oh, we're going to be able to actually collect a few dollars from, from some of these federal programs all the cell companies are taking up most of it already. But is that, isn't it, is it not the case, Alan, that if you're in, and if you're not using ACP, I'd be, I'd be curious if it's administratively burdensome. Um, but as long as you say we're ACP compliant, does that just solve the problem? I mean, but from Travis's question, I think the answer is, well, that's the household's decision and they're choosing not to take advantage of it. So I can't do anything about it, but is there something more complicated there? Oh, you're right. It does allow us to check the box on the grant applications that we are uh, a member. And we are, by the way. Uh, it has not been an easy process. If you were to Google like how to recover funds from ACP, you will get you know thousands of responses on how the consumer applies for and gets in the program. How many articles do you find that tell how the ISP actually applies and gets their money back? Like, zero. So mm -hmm. just trying to get through and understand how do we verify the persons in the database? How do we submit our request for funds back? Because don't forget, Travis and I are fronting the money uh, while we're waiting to get the money back. We're not getting any additional money that we would have gotten anyway, right? Because we're reducing the cost thirty dollars. Right, so it's a net loss because yeah. if you have to, especially in a high interest environment, if you have to front the money and then wait six months to get it back, that's the problem. Yeah, uh, I will say that they've been really good at paying, though. I don't know if you even notice that, Alan. Usually about three weeks once you okay. submit. So I will say that that, but Alan is correct. the The process you have to put in place to, to to report, and then you're always also in the back of your head. You're always susceptible to audit too. So just be ready. Which, which wasn't so bad for you, Travis. You could say. Well, you don't know. You you get audited. You send them the information back and. You hear nothing. Doug, you've been waiting to jump in. If four years from now you do an audit and you find out that you had 100 people who didn't qualify for the plan, you may owe all the money back. 
exactly. I mean, yeah. there's a risk in there for sure, right? Uh, it's a little bit scary. So, but can I tell you that it's like kind of refreshing? Like a couple, maybe six months ago, who knows? That uh, Travis wasn't so hot about all this like money, but now he's like being the biggest advocate for like he gets paid fast, the audit didn't go poorly. This is really. You know, I, I, I can see how everybody gets addicted to these government programs because, you know, when that when you see that wire come in from the U.S. Fed, you know, you're like, hey, cool, <laughs> getting all those tax dollars back. It kind of feels good. Um, I think we we came on um, we came off a little bit. I'm curious about other people's thoughts about the future of competition. Yeah, we didn't really answer because we got off on the ACP issue. I am seeing a whole lot of proposals coming in to communities to get their ACP money from ISPs or backed by venture capital. A ton of them. I'm, I'm, I, that's what I was doing right before this call was helping interview some of these proposals. And, and when you put venture capital into building a broadband solution and they want a 30 or 40% return, the only way for them to get that is to flip this business in four or five years. There's no other possible way because there's, there's no profit in these businesses. Long, long-term cash flow when you say these businesses, can you just be a little bit more specific? You know, build, building fiber to communities is a long, slow return. Eventually, you generate a lot of cash. If, if if Travis stopped building, he would start collecting a lot of cash. But it's not a high. It's nothing like a thirty percent return business. Well, the venture capitalists are gonna are, are either gonna get highly surprised how they got sold a bill of sales, or they're gonna. I think they're going to mostly flip the businesses. So. No, but do you think, like, this is my point of view, and I, I'm at this conference here, and you could tell that there's a lot more private equity and private uh, people here because there's a lot of slick people in suits, um, which I've been in this business for a while, and that's not usually the brand of people mm -hmm. in Boston. I um, wore a suit. Was I slick? <laughs> no. I, I, always used to, I always used to call it the shark skin suit guys. You knew them, you saw yeah. them in one second, you go, that's the guy trying to get his money in here. Just to pause for a second, I just want to say, I got it in both barrels. I showed up the first day, which was a travel day, and I did have two panels, and I wore a nice polo shirt that has my logo on it, and it was very nice. And people were like, oh, thanks, Chris, for showing up, like looking like a schlub. <laughs> the next day, I wear a suit, and people are like, oh, wow, he has a suit. Look at him. <laughs> I might have said the uh, the first day. That might have been me who said that. Um, but one thing I have for Doug is that you see a lot of this these these proposals coming in from these guys. I don't even know, like, if you're saying a 20 to 30% return, that's great if they can get that in those years and they then they flip it. But I don't even know if some of these guys are going to finish building the network team, get them off the ground to be successful. Oh, <laughs> I don't think there's any chance of them ever seeing that flipping money. So I, I, think, I think that... The, the number 42 billion is attracting all the sharks to the industry. And I think we're going to see a lot of disasters if we're not careful. So this I is, think there's, a, there's a silver lining in here though. Um, well, at least the towns get some fiber built. And even if those guys don't make their money and disappear, well, this is a bubble, right? I mean, like this is what yeah. happens, right? This I mean, what like, happens. Yep. Go ahead, Travis. Well, so there, there's a silver lining here that I'm seeing. So there's been, a, and I'd be curious if Alan runs into the same problem and Doug, if you've seen smaller ISPs, the problem we've run into is banks, traditional senior lenders do not consider us a utility. So they keep our, our leverage under, you know, three, maybe three and a half if you're really pretty profitable. Well, because seven can equity, wipe you out. Right. Just, well, just pause for a second. Private equity coming in. You're starting to hear about banks talking six, eight, ten times leverage 
which means it opens yes. up a lot of a lot of available capital. Wait, Travis, can you back up for a second for just so people can track that? They don't consider utility, and I'm guessing it's because you're not a monopoly, right? Is that right? It's it's because you know, again, this is just my experience. I'd be curious from Alan's. Every banker I've ever met is, you know, like 85 years old and they're used to, <laughs> they're used to water, sewer, you know, old school, yeah, monopolistic kind of utilities Mary where, they'll, where, where they'll put 15 times leverage on the business because they know that they're going to, you know, they're going to attract the customers. Well, with private equity now coming on board, banks are starting to get a little more educated. You're starting to see some younger people in the banks that are starting to look at fiber networks specifically and going, these things can be levered eight, nine, 10 times, which opens up a lot of capital if you're in a growth phase and, and starts creating very large networks very fast. So because, Travis, yes. talk, to, talk to yourself like it's 20 years ago, being levered in, in this way, what, is, what does all that mean? Okay, so let's say you have, I don't know, a million dollars, or let's just say $100,000 of EBITDA, right? So you're generating a little profit off the, you can't start with nothing, right? But you've got a little bit of profit you're generating. You know, you could throw a million dollars of leverage on that for next year and build out a pretty reasonable amount of fiber network, then roll the, roll the revenues and the profits from that and continue to lever and do it, you know, a little bit year after year. By the time you get to year five or six, you got a pretty good snowball rolling down the hill by the time you get to year 12 you got a really big snowball going down the hill and this is how i think these things are going to get built it's all under, about under his, under his example what what's really happening is you have a hundred thousand to profit and you can borrow three hundred thousand next year and you just you can never That's, get anywhere it was so it was too slow you can't get anywhere right? it was too so. slow so that, okay, that so you're saying world, you're that's the world i lived in is three times leverage now the new builders can, can get up to eight, nine, potentially 10 times leverage. Now they can start building networks a lot faster. That I think is a silver lining of all this. But then again, the reality of what's going to happen, because I get at least one phone call every day, is they start throwing out, we'll buy you for 25, 28, 32 times EBITDA multiples. Every, if there's going to be a roll-up strategy across this country, very similar to the way that the paging networks got rolled up. And and then everybody's going to be Verizon or AT&T or whoever. And that's, that was my, 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 I mean, my limited understanding is that, is that what, what we're saying here is uh, that uh, ultimately the people who will end up owning the networks um, are not doing it so they can engage and they can compete in a competitive environment. They are expecting to um, be able to drive the revenue, the average revenue per user, the amount we pay as households to more than $100 a month. That's what Doug's been saying for a long time, right? right? So even with more investment from more companies, we're still looking like we're going to end up in the same spot as what it feels uh, If somebody like. pays 25 times Travis's network, prices are going to be $100 a year later. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, but you know what? You know what's interesting, Doug? They're doing it, and there are there's probably two hundred VC companies oh, in private yeah. equity. They're all bidding against it, and they're bidding themselves up. Now it'll be interesting with the Fed rate going up if that slows down a little bit because the their bar the the borrowing basis that they're going to be at. But there's there. Let's just say there's a lot of opportunity in fiber networks right now to build them to sell them. <laughs> there's there's access to capital. And I'm not talking. I'm not talking government capital. I'm talking private capital. These things are bubbles. It's, it could be that by next February you can't get anybody to buy them. That's how these things come. Yeah. Out. Right. But to Doug's well, point, I you think, still got strong cash flow. Yeah. Alan, any last thoughts on that? Any any 
anything you're seeing differently? Alan would like 25 times something. Sure. <laughs> uh, we're, we're need more as a, a multiple of uh, monthly recurring revenue. So we're constantly adding customers, growing our, our monthly uh, base. Yep. Do we think um, these are going to be screwed by this? Like, I mean, because a lot of cities are trying to attract these guys and they're trying to really get these guys in, to come in and invest in their communities. And what you're, you could see is that they might sell in five years. And what does that broadband network look for those communities? And, these and who the heck is your, who's your operator yeah. five years from now? Yeah. No, and, and, yeah. and when, when some of us are still there, I don't know, Doug, if you're going to ever retire or not, but like I'm we'll go in and dead. talk to these people and they'll say, well, who could have known this was going to happen? <laughs> those are the conversations that drive me nuts. <laughs> Oh, it, it's of course it's going to happen because you know I call it the publisher clearinghouse check. There gets to be a point that everyone will sell, and if the numbers get get high enough, it, it's just it, it, it's inevitable. It happens in every single industry. So right. last comment here, and I don't know um, uh, who else wants to. I saw that uh, uh, the FCC has levied a fine of a hundred thousand dollars against um, LTD uh, for impermissible sharing of information during the quiet phase of the Ardoff auction. Um, and I was kind of curious. Like, I feel like it's an interesting gambit. I don't. I mean, I'm 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 guessing that it's. I would assume that the FCC, um, you know, is doing it. This appropriate thing. I don't know anything about like how these things work. But the interesting thing is, if if LTD just decides not to pay it, then the FCC has an excuse not to move forward with the art off. Right. It puts them in a little bit interesting situation. I think. Doug, that's that's a small wrist slap. If, you know, that's not going to stop them. That's not going to do it. The interesting thing is. You have to imagine the forty percent of the people getting that money improperly talked to other people. Somebody had it in for them and turned them in. So, you know. Yeah, and what what I guess what I'm thinking is just like I mean I've been assuming, um, looking at it that that this is not a situation where. Um, the LTD is looking to really get this money and build out the network and everything else. Like they're, they're looking to flip the network or they're looking to do something like the numbers don't make enough sense. And so like, I feel like this, they have to put in their own money now and they still don't even know they have to pay this fine. Not even knowing like, so I would assume that if LTD was not about to get a billion dollars from the FCC, they would be like, whatever, <laughs> like, but, but now they have to actually pay it. So I just thought it was an interesting situation. It, it certainly cranks up the, the interesting pressure on them. Doesn't it? So, yeah. Um, any last topics? Any quick hitters? Yeah, well, I would like, uh, I would hope that uh, Kim starts a sleep log so we can keep track of how she's doing. <laughs> I was just you know, me, every time you would like blow me up on the screen, I'm like, wow, I should have really put makeup on before this. Uh, <laughs> um, you just put glasses on. Maybe there'd be some glare well, or something that would help you out. Glasses on, then you can't like I'm like blowing up the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I won't. Well, this does look better than before. But uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for watching out for me, Doug. I uh, the other night, uh, uh, my neighbors were really rowdy at 5 a.m. this morning, so I was not super pleased with that. I wanted to be like those people who knock on the door. I'm getting, I'm getting that old. But I'm like, could you go back to sleep? I need my, I need my sleep. Oh, I've got a very important show today. <laughs> Well, I, remember the opening of this show we are apparently widely watched now so <laughs> no we have the fan thanks the fan joined us today thank uh, you Alan. Yeah. thank you Alan. thank you yeah actually nice was, today this is fun unfortunately yeah. it'll show up in our viewership stats that you're yeah. Not watching. yeah well yeah it's actually gonna look kind of bad today since you're not watching <laughs> but, 
but I did figure out, Chris, why you invited me now to that Houston meeting because you know I'll be the bum there that shows up in a t-shirt and jeans. So you know. Oh no, there was there's lots of folks that I mean, there was a range of dress codes that people okay. adhere to. Yeah, yeah. You're but never I still think me in a suit. Travis, you are never going to ever see me wearing a suit. So I can be with you on that. No, I, yeah, I, I, have a, I do have a deal. If you put it in your will that you want me to show up to your funeral off, I will wear my one suit that maybe still fits. Otherwise, no way. Not happening. Uh, we, have, uh, we can go out on this video. So uh, I think we are set with uh, um, Travis has accomplished uh, a multi-year effort. Miracle, Alan, a miracle. miracle. I haven't, I barely watched it either. So let's see. So this, the backstory on this is uh, for those of you that are permitting and trying to get under railroads, this is finally the last leg that we've been waiting is a six inch conduit under the railroad slash light rail, right? Chris, is that what they call it? And it yeah, is oh, it goes under the light rail. Where is that? Uh, over in um, South Minneapolis. So this was an act of Congress, but it's finally done. So that's even that's public right of way. Then it's not even. I mean, that that's dedicated light rail that's owned by the the counties, um, the uh, Metro Transit. I think. Um, yeah, I, I got. I was watching this uh, other this competitive broadcast. Something we can about, cut that video. Yeah, which which was um, talking about pole attachments, and I'm like, well, that's nothing compared to some of these right of way easements. So yeah, pole attachments you can solve with money. These other ones, you only solve with time and persistence. I worked so, with someone who took five years to get across a bridge. So, it can yeah, be brutal. Yep. So, oh, three years just, later, the bridge fell down. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's terrible. Um, so, I, I was going to ask the group. You know, we often talk about these networks, and I always ask, what, what the, should we break them into two groups? Those that are actually talking about it, and those that are actually building, because sometimes I get them confused, like. Like when we talk about supply chain and Chris is like, well, I talked to all these guys that say there's no issues with supply chain. And I'm like, are they building anything? No. no. So, okay. So Travis, yeah, I'm I'm like, well, then of course they have no issues no, with no, supply no, chain. No, 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 no. So <laughs> I, that's not what I said. <laughs> no. Um, and in fact, Fletcher Kittredge, who's been on the show before, was on stage talking about this. And he actually it was funny because he said what I said, which is that um, they were on a call recently on Encompass, uh, which is a trade association of the local uh, of, of competitive providers across the country. And they uh, were talking about it. And he said for, for like a year, people were all talking about supply chain, supply chain, like, oh, and I'm hearing it's a terrible thing, but I'm still getting enough to, to do my work. And, uh, and he said that's not the case for like bucket trucks or like a main thing that, uh, that like just aren't coming through at all. Uh, but he said that from their perspective that the people who actually are building, uh, and I didn't, I didn't have a chance to find out more at the scale, which was your next question, Travis. Yeah. Um, but they are saying that they are, they're, they're still getting enough product fast enough that it isn't, they're not stopping. Um, but there's, there are some things like bucket trucks where, like he said, you just cannot get a bucket truck inside of like 20 months right now. So my experience, cause I've been talking to a whole lot of folks who are really building the ones who don't have problems are ordering six months and nine months in a year ahead. And so they've built, you know, so, and I think that's how Travis is probably doing it. So the answer is they have it, but, it's, but for a new guy who's starting, who's going to put his first order in today, he's going to have a long way. There's no way around it. So. Well, that was my yeah. question to Chris, Doug, was like, okay, so let's say that these, this government money flows correctly down to a community to get started. From my experience, and I don't know about Kim, but we're ordering for the 2024 build year right now. 23 is done. 
right? Now we're into 24 now. What are they going to do? Do they sit on this money for two years waiting for parts and pieces? No, do they pay the, the do clock they, is running. The clock is running on the grant being finished. So. Yeah, I, I just don't understand how it's going to work. Because, yeah, if you've, if you've got a horizon of, to get this stuff out and you can't do anything for a year and a half or two, it's going to be real tough. It's going to be tough. So that's where our... So whenever I've asked that well, of anyone... Wireless might help you there, Travis. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, but are, are you having any issues getting uh, CPEs and, you know, wireless devices right now? In spots, but we're able to work around it. We're able to get what we need. Yeah. Whenever I put that question to folks about, like, being new, almost inevitably they're like, oh, well, like, we actually work with this, like, you know, the public works already has, like, a bunch of conduit and relationships. Or, you know, we're working with this uh, this this vendor that already has relationships and this and that. So they're not planning on being, like, a new relationship. They're planning on, like, piggybacking on someone that already has one. I don't know what that means for timing, Travis, but, like, people right. are – they seem to be finding a way. And I, what I need to do is to actually figure out who we can get on the show to talk about that. I'm just yeah, curious. I, I would love to watch that show. I'd like to hear him. Yep. And I'll get off um, my soapbox with one more thing. My, that's one of my favorite lines ever. They already have conduit. Okay. Is it the right conduit? Is it the right size? Is there a space available in the conduit? Does it go where you need it to go? Are there handholes where they're supposed to be? You know, anyways, that's no, no, but they have conduit and we're going to use it. Okay. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, like, I mean, here's the thing, Travis. Like, if you're if you're stuck being like, well, it's not the conduit we wanted, but if we can make something get going, like, I mean, I feel like you're that you've you've done that your whole life, right? Like, um, you figure I, out how to make it work. Yeah, well, but it's. I'll tell you what. We have walked away from con of miles and hundreds of miles of conduit and overbuilt the conduit because it just wasn't any good for what we needed to do. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And and hold on. And you did. We are double or nothing. I wasn't real clear on this last week. Oh, we're absolutely you're, double or nothing. You're in. Yeah, I'm in. What am I, what am I gonna do with twice the chicken wings? You, you know. <laughs> I kind of assumed that it was two years. Like I just. <laughs> oh, it's time. No, but, I, but I'm gonna go triple. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. going triple or nothing next well, year. So. That'll be twice the chicken wings that he never buys you, Travis. <laughs> yeah. Well, he always I mean, eats I, them too, Doug. But. I, feel, I feel if you lose the bet again, Chris, that Doug and I get an invitation to the chicken fest. So no, I'm, I mean, I'm just going to say I had a lot of barbecue while I was in Houston. I didn't see you around. Um, I mean, the last time I was in Houston, I guess we did. A, so the place you and I went with that other small group folks, Bruce and, um, and uh, Ernesto, Ernesto and everyone. That was really good. That's still the best barbecue I had in Houston. I but I couldn't remember where it was, so we tried new places. I haven't left this <laughs> like one time in four days, so I don't know how the, the barbecue in Houston is. Maybe on the way to the airport, I'll I'll grab some. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are doing a show next week, and it will be at this time again, uh, at this early time. Uh, we are having on uh, Lori Sherwood from Nokia, uh, who brought this topic to me. And, um, and maybe we'll do the open access rant. I did see that we had at least one person who said, yes, please do that. Um, the open access kind of just not open access, the um, overbuilding. It was overbuilding is what I meant. I mean, I did both open access and overbuilding rants um, on per to perform uh, like a monkey on stage. Uh, but next week, we're going to be at four o'clock Eastern time again. 
you know, we're going to go through the mapping process. What do ISPs have to know? And we're probably going to make fun of it and have it do it in a fun way. But there's a lot of things that uh, ISPs need to be ready for. And this summer, like uh, it's on us. Uh, so uh, we're going to go through those with um, with uh, Brian Mefford, I believe, from Vetro. Uh, Vetro does great mapping uh, solutions. And so we're going to have them and Lori Sherwood on uh, from Nokia to, uh, to walk us through this. And Travis, I'm counting on you to be like, I don't understand because you can just assume I'm not going to understand most of that and be able to ask intelligent questions. I, I will be happy to monopolize the conversation. I have one final announcement. Should I be on it since you want to nominate me for the FCC and I know exactly how everything goes? <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on now. Are we nominating you or not? Because you got kind of offended that we were and then now you're kind of on board with the idea. Well, well I, it's I'm kind just... of like how you pretend that you're going to let me buy you wings more than one time in my life. I just like to win. I, I'll keep buying them. It's fine. But uh, I do no, have an announcement. Not. I'm going to buy them. I, I am officially a Starlink customer. Ooh. So I'm going to try gonna that pay, out. You're going to pay the extra $25 for mobility? I am. I'm going to I'm gonna put it on the top of my RV, and I'm going to drive around the country and see how it works. Sweet. So um, just so people know, like, I mean, Travis and I, there's, we want to go to visit lots of folks that are doing interesting things, but, um, uh, we are talking about heading up to Duluth. Uh, so, you know, folks who are in Northern Minnesota, Northern Wisconsin, uh, might want to reach out to We do want to go to Maine. Um, I really want to go to Baltimore with Travis. Um, we want to do a few road trippy type things. And, um, uh, at, at this rate, it won't take very many before my wife leaves me. And then I will be more free to do these sorts of things. So I don't know exactly what the schedule is, but we really want to do some of that. Yep. Camping with Chris. Here we go with our Starlink dish and, and off we go. It'll be fun. The conversation every morning. Uh, Chris, I have a shower here. You can use it. <laughs> <laughs> so which one of you snores the worst? Ooh, that could be tough. We're going to find out. Chris will be in the tent outside. Yeah. <laughs> I sleep with a bear now, apparently. Yeah, that's coming up. Huh? Alan, thank you so much uh, for joining us. It was wonderful to have you. And uh, I, I appreciate you being a good sport as I asked you tough questions and impugned your your models. Oh, sure. Thank you for having me on here. And sorry, Alan, I don't mean to, I don't mean to talk badly. I just used my little experience here in Minneapolis. So, you know, and uh, Kim, wonderful to see you. Thank you for doing three straight shows. You're a rock star. Uh, Doug, uh, really appreciate you being on. I'll look at the schedule, make sure that we are scheduling the next um, the sh next show. I'd like it to be uh, Doug and Kim again after um, the, the mapping one. I just don't know when that will be. So uh, we'll figure okay. that out. Um, but thank you so much, everyone, for watching. And if this was your first show, um, they're not usually not this good. Uh, so don't watch them here. <laughs> 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 oh, they're all wonderful, and uh, um, and I, I hope that uh, we, if we got any new watchers from uh, broadband communities, I hope you enjoyed it. And if not, you should tell me. If you did enjoy it, tell everyone else. And uh, we will see you all next week. Have a good one. Mm -hmm.